me though, it's the Rich Keith Show. Here we go, you're now rocking with the Rich Keith Show on your radio. You're about to hear the chronicles from a topical, comical, and knowledgeable Boston sports talker dropping in hotter than a tropical climate. Breaking news, he supplies it, and you want the truth? Scoops Keith will find it. He's talking about all the sports. And he's also a hashtag dork And a father of two sweet daughters The leader of your squad for you evening marauders And night commuters Tune in and sit tight Six to ten, more like six to midnight Ow, the mic's hot on a Night's Watch crew Celtics, Bruins, Pats, and Red Sox too Doing this since the Rich Keith Project Now he's got podcasts and Twitch stream content KWFE on WEEI It's the Rich Keith Show So here's your guy and this is the Rich Keefe Show with a little bit of a twist. Joe Weil in for Rich Keefe, and we're doing Red Sox Hot Stove Talk tonight. And right before we came on the air, some big news dropping as it pertains to the Red Sox. Coming from Jeff Passett of ESPN, right-hander Lucas Giolito and the Red Sox are in agreement on a two-year, $380.5 million contract that includes an opt-out after the first season and it's a big free agent signing for the Red Sox. One we've been we've been expecting all offseason. And it might not be one of Yamamoto or Otani, but it's something. And at least we know the front office ownership. Everybody's awake right now. And the Red Sox have somebody in the rotation of some star caliber, even though the last couple of years he hasn't been the pitcher that he was uh, when he was an all-star in 2019. But the Red Sox have made a move, and here I was getting ready to come on the air and talk to all of you guys about how the Red Sox haven't done anything and how we're waiting, hoping something can happen with this team from a free agency perspective after we were promised that the team would go full throttle in the offseason and spending-wise spending by Tom Werner. And now we have at least something. Joe Weil with you here again, 6 to 9 tonight. We're going to do some Red Sox hot stove talk. My pregame, postgame teammate, Cooper Boardman, he's going to join us at 7 p.m. right now. Uh, he is doing his Al Michaels impression. He's calling some hockey uh, in Lake Placid. He's doing it for UMass. It's not the Olympics, but UMass, of course, a great hockey program. Cooper does an awesome job with them. He'll join us uh, when he is available to do so after that game comes to an end. And we have some special guests coming on tonight as well. Mass Live's Chris Cotillo, he'll be in studio with us coming up in our next segment at 6.20. And then the one and only Will Fleming will be joining us later on in the program as well, the last hour of our show to talk about some Red Sox baseball. Red Sox Nation, how we doing? At least this news is a little bit of something, and, and hopefully it's a precursor to more action from this Red Sox front office because we were expecting big things with, with the comments that were made, the fact that the team got rid of Bloom, they brought in a new guy in Craig Breslow with the hope because they were under the luxury tax last year that they would spend this season, uh, this offseason, coming into this year and get this team back on track to what it was prior to the last couple of years. We know about the last place finishes and how much this team has struggled recently. Well, now they got something, which is good in Lucas Giolito signing this two-year contract. Again, there's an opt-out after the first year, so he could parlay this season. He's going to be 29 years old going into opening day, uh, and then he could parlay a good season with the Red Sox into a bigger contract, which could be with the Red Sox. But at the very least, they get a guy that has a track record. I want to get to him a little bit more in a moment, but the, the reason we feel this way 
about what the Red Sox uh, were, were looking at from an offseason perspective right before this move is because of what they were talking up, a big game about what they were going to do. And I mentioned, of course, the Tom Warner comments. We all know the full throttle comments at this point, but Craig Breslow, when he was announced as the chief baseball officer here with the Red Sox, he also talked about it early November at his press conference about the budget that he would be working with coming into the season. And here's what he had to say. Craig, when you look at uh, the Texas Rangers that just won, they went out and spent a ton of money. They got Seager, Simeon, Avaldi, DeGrom. They took on Max Scherzer's contract. Will you have the ability to, to spend, or is there a budget that they set you with? Will you be aggressive this offseason in terms of pursuing uh, players with large contracts that maybe teams want to get rid of, free agents? How will that go about? Sure. So I can start by saying that one thing uh, that became very, very clear through this process was the unwavering commitment to winning uh, from ownership. And so, you know, I think the responsible, the prudent path of a front office operation is to kind of uh, search all corners for those opportunities to, to kind of overturn every stone to kind of unearth every option. There are multiple pathways to building sustainable winners, and we need to be willing to, uh, to, to, to run down all of those. So when he talked about ownership's willing to, willingness to make this team better, we all thought, I thought, that meant spending. And uh, it, it, at least we have something now. And I, and I may have misspoke because some people are texting in right now saying I said $380 million. Let me rephrase it again. So Jeff Passan reporting that Lucas Giolito is signing for two years, $38.5 million, not 380. Thanks for letting me know. I misspoke there. It happened right before we came on the show. I had it all laid out and then things changed. So two years, 308, uh, 38.5, not 300, $38.5 million contract that includes an opt out after the first year. So the Red Sox do have a, a free agent signing. And just to get to Lucas Giolito a little bit more, I, I was actually talking about him on Twitter uh, before we hopped on the show today. I was talking about him yesterday, and, and I started to talk myself more into the idea of Lucas Giolito being a part of the Red Sox and actually being excited about it. And, and I, again, I'm not going to tell you that this is Yamamoto uh, doing, you know, it, this is akin to signing a Yamamoto, who is the, the hot commodity on the free agent market. Tyler Glass now to a guy that the Dodgers also got. I'm not saying it's of the same caliber, um, although I think Giolito and, and Glass now, for different reasons, you could argue who's the guy you'd want on your side. Glass now, upside maybe a little bit better, but uh, he has the injury history. What I love about Lucas Giolito and now being on the Red Sox is that here's a guy that can give you starts in innings. He's thrown at least 160 innings in every full season since 2018. And last year, I, I think you have to look at, at what he did in, in total in terms of what he did with the White Sox before getting traded to the Angels and then later on being with the Guardians and, and look at it through a different lens than just looking at the total numbers for the season so if you do look at the totals here's what he did he was 8 and 15 4.88 era 33 starts as i mentioned but the 41 home runs is what really scares you most in the al second most in major league baseball and with that if you take what he did in the first half with the white Sox, which was an era around 3.50 and then right before he got traded to 
the Angels, he was at 3.79 in terms of his ERA. He was a pretty good pitcher last year. And then he gets traded to the Angels, and he gets put in the thick of a, a, a race. And it really, it was it was kind of bizarre that the Angels did what they did, but you also understand it because they were trying to keep Shohei Otani. Like, they were doing everything they can to keep that guy a, a part of uh, their organization. And obviously, we know what happened subsequently after they... They their their whole season just was in complete disarray. Uh, after they went for it, they kept losing, and of course now he's with the Dodgers, signing that ten years, uh, seven hundred million dollar contract. But with the White Sox, Giolito three point seven nine ERA, twenty one starts with them as well, and he did average over a strikeout per inning for the season. There's also the personal side of it, too, because if you don't know this, I, I do think this played a part in his 2023 campaign. The fact that he got divorced and then he gets traded, too. So there was a lot going on with him. And you look at the numbers pre-trade. That was a good pitcher. That was the Giolito you saw of years past where in 2021, 11-9, and 3.53 ERA. Again, over a strikeout per inning. And in 2021... He was the ace of that White Sox team that made the playoffs, and he got, of course, a start in the playoffs. In 2020, he threw a no-hitter. Granted, it wasn't in front of any fans, as was the case that season, but he was a good pitcher that year, too. 4-3, and 3.48 ERA, 12 starts that year, and again, over a strikeout per inning. 97 strikeouts, 72 in the third innings. And then 2019, that was the big year, of course, for him, too. Uh, because that is what changed the perspective of his entire career. In 2018, he was one of the worst starters in Major League Baseball. And and that's not me being hyperbolic and saying that. It's just the truth. And he's admitted this, too. And I, I think that's part of what I like about Lucas Giolito and now him being with the Red Sox. I think he can handle this market because he's a mentally tough dude considering the fact that he went from being the worst guy in the sport in terms of starting pitching to a guy the next year that was an all-star and then subsequently became the ace of a playoff team. So... I like this move. I, I'm going to state it on the record because I stated it on Twitter last night, and I was hoping that the Red Sox would do this, and they have. Again, the it just came down. The Red Sox have signed Lucas Giolito to a two-year, $38.5 million contract that includes an opt-out after the first season. So it might just be a one-year deal, but at least the Red Sox gained some innings by getting somebody like Lucas Giolito. And just to tell you what he stacked up in terms of Major League Baseball, where he stacks, since 2019, 7th in Major League Baseball on innings pitched, tied for 6th in starts, and he's 18th among qualified starters in strikeouts per 9 innings. So that's among 157 qualifiers, 18th in uh, in qualif- among qualified starters in strikeouts Per nine, and of course, he's an all-star too. So again, bad last year. A lot of that was the second half. The one thing that does worry me is his fastball velo did dip last year, left a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate, and he got hit hard. Again, 41 home runs, but we finally got something, guys. At least it's something, and I'll take it. And uh, this is a guy that at least also has some pe- previous pedigree in that we're not looking at him as so much like a Oh, hopefully this happens. There was a long track record last year of this guy being okay, and actually better than okay, pretty good too. It's not like getting a, a older Corey Kluber and hoping that he can, you know, capture what he was able to do with the Rays the year prior. But you know, maybe that that previous 
Cy Young ability or or something close to that. I, I James Paxton. We'll see if the Red Sox end up getting him back in the fold. That's one thing I'd like to ask Chris when we have him on. Chris Cotillo joining us in our next segment. But I also feel like with James Paxton, you're hoping that he stays healthy despite a huge, long list of injuries in one terms of what he's dealt with. The fact that he's on the other side with Lucas Giolito, at least you get him in his prime uh, still, even if it's coming off a down stretch last year. But again, I think that there's a, there's a couple different factors that led to that. So we'll ultimately see uh, what they end up doing with him. Again, the big news coming down, Lucas Giolito signing with the Red Sox two years uh, $38.5 million contract that includes an opt-out after the first season. And you know the story. If you if you follow Red Sox baseball, you know the story about the starting pitching for the Sox and how badly they need innings because that was a huge issue for this team. And one, arguably, I think that sunk them last year along with their the, just the defense as well. But just going over the numbers from last year, they were 27th in starting pitching innings. In Major League Baseball, 22nd in ERA. And Brian Bayo had a good season. I like what I saw to Nick Pavetta, especially after a really tough start to the year. He goes to the bullpen, figures some things out. He adds a sweeper, comes back up, or he comes, he ends up getting put back in the rotation and ends up delivering for the Red Sox. But they need more known quantities if they actually want to make some headway and not just stay in the race until July, if they can even get there, but stay in it down the stretch. And uh, we will wait to see if Lucas Giolito can be a part of that. It's Red Sox Hot Stove coming your way 6-9 to nine tonight. You can call in 617-779-7937. Again, 617-779-7937. Chime into the conversation. Cooper Boardman joining me at 7. He's, he and I are going to host the show the rest of the way after that. Chris Cotillo joining us next for Mass Live. We'll also get Will Fleming uh, later on in the program as well. So much to hit on in terms of the Red Sox offseason. The lack of really any offseason news as it pertains to the Red Sox before this signing today. We'll still touch on the miss with Yamamoto, of Otani as well, what still needs to be done with the Red Sox because it's still a lot. But guys, we at least have a start. But before we do that, we will get to what's trending here on WEI. You can stream the show or listen on demand anytime. Just download the Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Say W-E-E-I's a favorite and listen wherever you go. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on W-E-E-I. Joe Wild filling in for Rich Keefe tonight on Red Sox Hot Stove. Cooper Boardman will join us a little bit later on. Also, Will Fleming. We'll join the program as well a little bit later in the night. And we've been waiting for news all offseason in terms of the Red Sox making something happen on the free agency front. And right before we hit the airwaves, some news came down from Jeff Passan. Right-hander Lucas Giolito and the Red Sox in agreement on a two-year $38.5 million contract. That includes an opt-out after the first season. So the Red Sox finally make a signing. And uh, now we have in-studio special guest, Mass Live's Chris Cotillo and Chris, we finally got something. Is this full throttle enough for you? Yeah, they knew I was coming in, yeah, so they exactly. had to, you know, make a move for us to not just sit here and complain about them and, <laughs> and trash on them. But it's not full throttle. I think it's a, you know, probably a start to their to do list. Uh, there are some indications that it might be one of the bigger pieces that they pick up, especially you know, spending wise. Um, but 
it, it is a guy who I think, you know, I had a couple of veteran executives tell me this week it's a good buy. It's a guy that, you know, is a little bit of a depreciated asset because of the year he just had. But if you look under the hood, if you look at the context of it, this is a guy who, you know, has a long track, rec- track record of innings, which the Red Sox need. They're still upside there. Um, you know, it was a guy who had Cy Young votes in three straight years in Chicago, a bad year last year with a lot going on. But you know, I think the contract is a reasonable one. They didn't have to give him, you know, four or five years. It's a deal where if he pitches well, the Red Sox will gladly take that in 2024 for 19 million. He'll opt out. Now there's, you know, conditional option for a third year. It's complicated. I haven't looked at all of it yet, but seems reasonable. And, you know, it's a guy that uh, I think they have done their homework on for a long time, even when it was Bloom and not Craig Breslow. And a guy I think fits pretty well. And I'm glad that this just came down, that the fact that they have somebody of Lucas Giolito's caliber now in the rotation, because you know anybody that watched this team last year knew that they needed innings. The fact that they were 27th among starting pitching in innings pitched. It was concerning before this came down to hear what, what you and Sean McAdam were talking about on your podcast and also to read your article from yesterday where you talked about that there are many throughout the industry that doubt that the Red Sox are serious about spending money and improving the roster for this upcoming season. I, I guess the question now to ask is, is this the precursor to more moves, do you think? Or is this probably where they top out with in terms of anybody on the free agency market? My educated guess is the latter, you know, and I mean, uh, I was thinking about it on the way here. Like, does this make us in our reporting, you know, look bad from we said, you know, they're not going to do anything or they're not going to do anything significant. I mean, I don't think it's, at the level of what people expected at the beginning of the offseason, right? It was Yamamoto or Montgomery or Snell. If this is their number one starting pitching addition, I think, you know, people are going to be disappointed. Again, I think it's a good move. I think it's a savvy move, and I think he's going to be a good fit. But to me, I think the expectations were for one of those guys. Again, Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell still available. Yamamoto, Aaron Nola are not. And I think that that's just, uh, if he is their biggest pitching addition, you know, I think I just saw a tweet from Pete Abraham that he was the eighth best starter available according to MLB trade rumors. That's not good enough. So how they go from here with the rotation, still up in the air. I think a trade still makes a lot of sense. Go get a controllable guy, maybe from Miami. I've been saying Seattle all off season. If they make George Kirby, Logan Gilbert available. Um, I just don't see them going out and getting Montgomery or Snell. You know, and I think... You know, the Mets are a team that just lost out in Giolito. Maybe they go and get one of those guys now that they've been, you know, spurned by both Yamamoto and Giolito here in the last couple of weeks. But I would guess it's probably, you know, at the higher end of what they're going to do free agent wise. Um, but, you know, allowing Craig Breslow, who kind of works in the shadows, to surprise us and allowing for that possibility. What's the rationale, though, for not going after somebody like Jordan Montgomery? And you wrote a story earlier in the offseason about the fact that he's actually in the area. Yep. And. He's, well, he's probably scared off by a Boston winter, right? Like that probably didn't. <laughs> that maybe help. did it, but the, but the snow hasn't come yet, right? Exactly. Global warming's helping the Red Sox yep. case. Um, I think he's a good fit. You know, I do, and I think he's got a he's a guy who's pitched in a big market, in New York. He's pitched in the postseason. He's a guy that you know is is trending upward. Um, I just think that the prices probably in the Red Sox estimation have gotten insane. You know, the Yamamoto market took him to three twenty five. That's going to have a trickle down effect on the rest of all these guys, um, and so I think he was a guy that kind of seemed like one of the perfect fits heading into the winter. I at this point, you know, don't know if they're still involved. If this is going to take them out, um, to me, and until he's off the board, he seems like a guy that could fit here more than Snell. I've always felt that way. Um, I had somebody tell me this week Snell might fit that high AAV, you know, three year, a hundred million dollar deal 
with an opt-out after one. I don't think the Red Sox would want to do that because they can't spread out the luxury tax and the budget and all that. So Montgomery's a guy to kind of keep an eye on. Imanaga from Japan's another one. James Paxton, as Bradfoe reported, another guy. Um, I don't think this rotation's a finished product, right? I mean, I, I don't think you can look at it and say it is. I think there's some guys with upside, whether it be Crawford, Whitlock, Houck, but at a certain point, you need certainty. I think that's what Giolito provides. Um, you know, slot in with Bayo and the rest of the guys they have. A good start in the rotation picture, but uh, to me, there's still a move away, and I, I just don't feel like they have the they're not showing the aggressiveness to do that and really go full throttle to, to you know, to drill that term into the ground. But Chris, what's the rationale behind that? Because if they make a comment like that, you know, in the off season, yep. they do what they do with letting go of Heim, which you can agree or disagree with. But the reality is from what we thought or what they expressed that this is a new direction. The Red Sox are going to go in and be more aggressive. So what's the rationale in saying those things and then not actually acting on it? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And especially if they head into spring training with a, you know, payroll that is, you know, lesser maybe than it was a year ago or lesser than it's been in years past, it's a very fair question. Um if I I guess the 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 thing I would say is that if they were planning on not going full throttle and not being aggressive, they could never really come out and say that. So I guess probably in their estimation it's better to make that claim and then under deliver. Um, and, and maybe that was Tom Warner's plan. Again, it's not even new year's. There's still time to add to the team. There's still time to add pieces. This was, you know, really their first significant move, their second addition of kind of even a, a somewhat important piece with Tyler O'Neill. Um, but I think that that is going to be, you know, a tagline that Red Sox fans are going to remember forever. If they're continually disappointed by this um, and to reach that bar, to reach that full throttle bar, it had to be, you know, Otani was probably a, a, a pie in the sky the whole time. But Yamamoto, Montgomery, um, a trade for a big piece. You know, the the Yankees went full throttle with Soto for a year, right? And the Dodgers obviously have. This is not at that line yet. They still have time, but I have my my serious doubts that they'll get there. We're chatting with Mass Live's Chris Cotillo hopping on here for Red Sox Hot Stove. If you want to get your calls in, 617-779-7937. Again, 617-779-7937. Seven nine three seven uh, on the position player side. You hit on this today, and, and it's it was something that I had been thinking about too. With the Red Sox being linked to Teoscar Hernandez, and I know you've reported that it's between them and the Angels, probably the two hottest pursuers of him at this point. What's the rationale, I guess, for going after somebody like that when we know coming into next year there is that glut of outfielders, yep. and now you have Tyler O'Neill in the mix too. Obviously, they trade away Alex Verdugo, so a little bit of a trade-off there, but you still have guys like Sedan Rafaela, Willier Abreu, of course, you still have Masataki Yoshida and Jaron Duran as well. Why add somebody like him? I know he does bring right-handed power, which they need, but at the same time, the the, the position in which they'd be adding it, it, it leaves me a little bit confused. I would guess that even though it's not an apples-to-apples apples thing, the Giolito move will decrease the chances they'll go out and get a big-name position player. I think that that was kind of looked at as a, you know, if the pitching market doesn't work out the way we want it, maybe we can do this and just try to add to the offense and figure out the pitching later, which I would have, as I said today on the podcast, that, you know, like I don't think that that's the right way to go just because the strength of your team, a lot of it's in the outfield. You know, they, as you mentioned, Abreu, Rafaela, Duran, Yoshida is a guy that everybody forgets about after a year, but he's under contract for four more years. You, know, you probably need to get him DH at bats. He's in the mix in left field along with O'Neill and Ref Snyder still on the team. And to me, that would kind of be a you know a chess move one step ahead where 
day, okay, they, they signed Tay Oscar, and now they have to trade an outfielder. Kind of take some leverage away if you're trying to dangle one of those outfielders in a trade for pitching. I know Abreu and Rafaela and Duran are all talented. They all have high upside. You have Roman Anthony coming in a couple of years. To me, it just was like, you know, they, they were significantly in on him, at least in the last week. Maybe the Giolito thing takes them out. Maybe too early to tell. But it just, to me, is not the most sensical move for this team because they have not just, you know, guys who are slotted into the outfield in a more balanced mix with O'Neill than Verdugo, but they have guys who are coming in the future. They have Anthony, who is, you know, by all accounts, going to be, you know, a superstar there for them. Um, and, and guys that in Rafaela and especially Abreu showed that they can play in the majors. So never really made sense. I know he's been great at Fenway, whatever, could add some pop, but not where I would invest my money if I were them. Do you have a sense on on the guys that you just mentioned, the Rafaela, the Abreu, the Duran? Do you have a sense on which one of those guys is most likely to be dealt for a starting pitcher that, as we've talked about, this team certainly still needs even after getting Giolito? I don't. I do think that, you know, there is a possibility of, especially in the case of Duran, trying to sell high because he's a guy that, you know, he had a great year before getting hurt and a season ended prematurely in New York. But maybe, you know, it's no longer, you know, upside and tools and all that type of stuff with him. It's, okay, he had a long stretch of months and months where he was legitimately one of the best players in baseball. You know, if you watched him play the year before, the year before that, you probably wouldn't have ever expected that to happen, but it was the case. Um and Abreu, it could be, you know, a sell-high guy as well. Obviously, with less of a track record, it was really a month and a half. Maybe they try to do that. I think Rafaela, you know, is it's tough because he's got so much value because of the tools and upside, but you haven't seen that yet. And he, to me, seems more ticketed for AAA at this point. So, I don't know. I think there's, there's value in all three of those guys, obviously. Um, at the very high end, I'm sure teams are asking and wanting, asking for and wanting Anthony. Don't see them doing that unless it's a super blockbuster for you know, one of those Kirby's or Gilbert's or guys like that. So it's an area of the roster they could look to move from um, and and one that I'm expecting that they're talking about. But infield, too. I mean, they have a lot of infielders, whether it be York, Meyer, obviously, um, you know, Valdez, Hamilton, those types of guys. Like, they have a lot of infielders, too. I think they're just trying, you know, Breslow said this already a few times, trying to kind of equal the pitching talent to the position player talent, the organization so far, uh, they haven't really done that either. A couple more things before we let you go in your article today, you mentioned Alex Cora and his contract situation. And the fact that he's brought back with this team under a new GM third GM he's, he's now worked under. Is this the last year of Alex Cora? Do you think there's a lot that goes into that? You know, I think that the team performance is a huge piece of it. You know, the better they play, I think the, the better chance of him, you know, having a lot of interest on the open market because I think the shine is off of him a little bit, not because of the sign stealing thing. I think people are over that. Okay. You got a second chance, but just the Red Sox, the way they performed in the three years he's been back 2021 was great. Magical run. He got a lot of that out of that roster. The last two years, this is a team that has been horrible fundamentally, which is what he prides himself on. He's taken the blame for that. He's not been shy about it. And they've really quit kind of down the stretch, horrible September, especially this year, you know, guys, he, losing parts of the clubhouse. I know Verdugo is probably a special case, but, you know, that, that happened. <laughs> He's gone. And, right. And Cora was not uh, too unhappy about that. But I think the shine could be off of him uh, a little bit. If he gets a, a, a not a great roster to the playoffs, I think he can maybe parlay that into free agent interest. And as I wrote today, the two teams that I think loom large, no one wants to hear one of these, but the Dodgers, if Dave Roberts does not deliver a World Series title this year with that roster, 
you could see him getting fired, even if they win 130 games and they you know lose in the NLDS again. And Aaron Boone's definitely on the hot seat, especially with Juan Soto and them being aggressive. Alex Cora has always you know held Brian Cashman in high regard. There's a huge Puerto Rican population in the Bronx, and he's you know I don't think he's above making that change and being a free agent and seeing how much the Yankees want to pay him. So those two teams to me loom large. Very premature, but he's not under contract past this year, so it's a discussion worth having. Right before you got to the Yankees part, just because I read your article today, I was about to interject, brace yourself for what Chris yeah, is about to right. say. It surprised me when you put it out there, but then you think about it more and you know the situation that, that, that he's now in with a, a new regime and, and where they've finished the last couple of years, it makes a ton of sense. Um, I, I think what you hit on, a lot of valid points, right? The fundamentals we've watched the last couple of years, and it has... It's been surprising to see a team under him who I, and I love what he brings to the table. Like I post game shows, I've talked about how much I think he has elevated this team, especially over the last couple of years, really 21. And for the first part of last year before the trade deadline. And then it, as you mentioned, the September part of it where it, it did sort of collapse, but you're right. The, the two teams that you'd figure would have a good shot at getting him if he's let go are two teams that are obviously rivals of the Red Sox, and that would sting. It'd be another it'd be another departure from that 2018 team that uh, obviously was a part of an era that that brought championship glory, but then would be gone. But you know, two last place finishes. If you're right, if it happens again, I, I don't know how you bring him back or it can stay the same as it's been the last couple of years. And I mean, is this a guy that you think would go to Kansas City or no. Oakland and start a rebuild? You know, and and try to. You know, build a team up for four or five years. No, he's going to want a contending situation. Obviously, the Yankees and the Dodgers are always going to be in that boat. Um, and I just, at the end of the day, Craig Council did a lot for guys like Alex Cora and other managers who are going to be free agents, right? He's getting $8 million a year. The Cubs hired him over a manager they already had in place. Alex Cora and other guys in that boat are probably salivating over that. Yeah, without a doubt. All right, we have one text come in. I want to hit on it. Uh, somebody asking about Adam Duvall and Justin Turner. What have you heard on both of their fronts, guys that were on this team last year? Very quiet. I think Turner, uh, to me, it's just as as good as he was for a year. You know, to me, it just makes more sense that he goes elsewhere. It just doesn't fit the roster, I think. You know, with, with all the outfielders that we talked about, Yoshida's going to need to get a lot of at-bats at DH, and, and that's kind of, I think, the plan there. Duvall, to me, is a guy that it's a crowded mix, sure, um, especially with O'Neal, but he still makes some sense to come back, especially if he's willing. And this is a point that Sean McAdams made a ton on, you know, writing in on the podcast. If he can play first base, something he did early in his career as kind of that, you know, take some starts away from Casas against specific lefties, play some outfield, give you some pop at DH. I think he still fits, you know, that role is probably not as intriguing to him as maybe a starting role. He can get elsewhere where he's less of a bit part. He had, he had an excellent year. He was a great fit here. Very well liked. So I wouldn't rule that out until he signs elsewhere, but it's also a guy that's played for a billion teams in a short amount of time. He knows what it's like to move around. He's going to have interest after, you know, while he was healthy, being very, very good last year. Before we let you go, because I, I see the UNC sweater on you right now, the sweatshirt on you. Um, as somebody that used to live in North Carolina for a long time, you're the guy that, that lives in this area that tweets anything North Carolina related the most. Of course. <laughs> uh, I know we have a lot of Patriots fans listening. Give us the Drake May pitch. Would you like to see him on the Patriots? I mean, I I think I heard, you know, somebody talking about the North Carolina, you know, quarterback curse because Trubisky was bad, now Howell, 
you know, I guess is, is getting benched for Jacoby Brissett, who went to a safety school in NC State. But <laughs> I think May, you know, has been a prospect the whole time. He's a guy from a very athletic family. His dad was the quarterback there. His brother, Luke May, you know, created one of the great moments of my collegiate career. Uh, career as a student, not an athlete. That's why I'm now doing <laughs> writing and radio and not playing. But um, Me too. The, you know, hitting a shot in the Elite Eight against Kentucky to win. Uh, brothers are all athletes who have won, you know, championships in different places. Luke, Carolina, his brother. Um, Cole was a reliever at Florida, just like your academic or a- academic and athletic pedigree. He looks to part. He makes every throw. Don't let the record fool you. The defense was horrible. Gene Chizik should be fired. Um, that would be a good way to get me back in on the Patriots. I had trouble watching this year. Um, me specifically getting the quarterback that I've watched every snap of his collegiate career. So I'm all in. They need to keep losing to make it happen. I was pissed the other day that Ryland hit that field goal because it decreased the chances of it. But um, you know, bring Drake May here and get me back in. I might ask for a, a beat change if that happens and no longer cover the Red Sox. Well, it, well, now I'm rooting against it because I want you to stay in the Red Sox. I enjoy reading you so much. Yeah, well, if I mean, they probably, you know, I think – Places used to hire a LeBron beat writer in addition to their Cavs beat writer because he was such a big name. Mass Live is going to make me the Drake May guy in addition to, <laughs> you know, Mason and Daniels and Karen on the Patriots. Mass Live's Chris Cotillo. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Anytime. Appreciate it. Beers on me in 2024. We'll have more Red Sox hot stuff coming up next here on WEI. You can watch the show anytime via our live stream on Twitch. Just go to twitch.tv slash WEEI And check out WEEI on YouTube for our video on demand content updated daily. Now, more of the Rich Keefe Show on WEEI. Where we are right now uh, as an organization with the group that we have, you know, we, we get a chance to mold these kids, you know, to what we really want. You know, right now there's not too many veterans. Uh, I was telling Jaron, I said, you're the veteran of the outfield group, right? But uh, we're very talented, but we, we have to to make sure when, when we play at home, the, those 81 games become a real home field advantage, you know, and how we do that, playing better baseball, you do that, the fans are going to get into it, the city is going to get into it, and then we go, right? But uh, it has been hard the last few years at home. That was Alex Cora talking on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast with our man Rob Bradford and a, a pretty interesting point there about the home record, especially last year, 39 and 42 at home. They're actually the same record on the road as well at 39 and 42. I am excited about the young players on this Red Sox team, and that gets lost in a lot of the free agency stuff and, and of course, the dismay with the full throttle comment not coming to fruition with an Otani or a Yamamoto. But you hear Alex Cora there talking about Jaron Duran, who had an exciting season last year. It was pretty up and down in the sense that when he was going – it was it was awesome. I mean, he was such an exhilarating player to watch. I'd argue at times, and maybe for the totality of the season, when you when you put together everything he did, he was the most exciting player because when when he was on, it, it was a ton of fun to watch what he could do on the base pass and especially at the top of the lineup too. But Alex Cora knows better than anybody what can happen if the Red Sox can just put together some winning baseball and especially at home because. He's seen it up close and personal as a player who's, of course, a World Series champion with the Red Sox in 2007, manager in 2018 when they won it all. He knows what baseball means to this town, and there have been plenty of times over the last couple of years where you feel like the Red Sox have been on the back burner a little bit in terms of the interest 
among the the four teams uh, in town because of the way that they've spent some seasons and, of course, the way that they played with back-to-back last-place finishes. But they do take at least one step forward today with a free agent signing. If you're just joining us, and by the way, Joe Weil in for Rich Keefe, Red Sox hot stove up to 9 p.m. Zach Coe behind the glass doing fantastic work. Working with him for the first time, he's knocked it out of the park so far. But with Lucas Giolito signing a two-year, $38.5 million contract that includes an opt-out after the first season with the Red Sox, and Jeff Passan just adding this part to the the, the whole deal itself, uh, the deal with Boston gives him, and this being Giolito, $18 million salary in 2020-24, with a million dollar buyout if he opts out. If not, the salary for 2025 becomes 19 million. There's a conditional option for 2026 as well. Uh, $14 million club option if he throws under 140 innings in 2015, and a $19 million mutual option for 140 plus innings with a $1.5 million buyout. It's a lot. You can look that up uh, if you're interested uh, more about Lucas Giolito. I will continue to talk about him throughout the rest of the program tonight because that's the big news. And as I've argued already on this show, and we just had Chris Cotillo from Mass Live also on, and, and he chatted about it as well, this is a positive step forward for the Red Sox. Despite the fact that Lucas Giolito's total 2023 season was a down year, especially by his standards, but there were a lot of factors that went into that. Personal stuff, he went through a divorce last year, he gets traded uh, to the Angels, then he ends up with the Guardians later on in the season. But before that, with the White Sox, he did some some really solid work. I think he's going to be able to handle this market, too. And I think Alex Cora, I don't think, I know he wants players that are going to be able to embrace Fenway Park, embrace being a Red Sox. And, and that's where you look at some guys out in the market right now that Chris mentioned. I felt the same way, too, in Blake Snell. I don't know if he's a fit for this market. First off, you hear he wants to be on the West Coast. And then on top of that, just the way I've heard him talk about, you know, specific things. And he's pitched in Tampa. He's pitched in San Diego. He's thrived in both markets. He's had Cy Young seasons. I don't know if that's going to necessarily translate to Boston, especially when it seems like this is not the place he necessarily even wants to be. I'm still holding out hope. Hope it's Jordan Montgomery. We want to get your thoughts. 617-779-7937. Again, 617-779-7937. Does this Lucas Giolito signing make you feel just a slight bit better about the Red Sox offseason? Are you still disappointed that they did not go after or, or they didn't get Yamamoto, that they did not get Shohei Otani? Does the fact that they didn't get those guys or trade for Juan Soto, who is a New York Yankee, uh, just make you not want to tune into the Red Sox. I'd hope that's not the case because I think there's a pathway for this team to be a playoff contender, but they have to continue to go full throttle, at least for what's left, right? The, the, the full use of that comment, it's gone by the wayside. You're not getting the top tier guys and the Dodgers. They've had, I, I put this on Twitter, I think it was a week ago, uh, I was trying to think of a better comparison. If you have one, feel free to text it in to 37937 or you can call in. Again, 617-779-7937. I felt like the Dodgers had a 2010 Miami Heat offseason where they, and I just put an H on offseason, offseason, Miami Heat offseason, where you get the top free agents. Of course, that year they get LeBron, they get Chris Bosh. D-Wade was also a free agent. They got him back. But you get Shohei Otani, you get Yamamoto. Now they've gotten Tyler Glass now as well. You add in what they already, you know, you mix in what they've already had. It's... 
So it's a dangerous group out there. That being said, super teams don't necessarily win championships in any sport, but specifically baseball. And for the Red Sox, what we wanted to see from them last year is just to get into the dance. There was a pathway with maybe some more additions at you know, the trade deadline where they didn't end up doing anything, but they were close to it. I mean, they were a game and a half out of the wild card when they were playing some good baseball at the end of July, and then everything fell by the wayside, too. There's a lot more to get to tonight. Again, we're going to take you all the way up to 9 p.m. because Chris hit on some Alex Cora stuff about this season, if this could be his last year, where he could head after this. I'm a huge fan of of Alex Cora and what he does. I do think Chris made some valid points. Chris Cotillo of Mass Life, who joined us, about the fact that the fundamentals fell by the wayside. That's a big, big point of emphasis. I do think that the Red Sox need to hit on in the offseason to be better from last year because defensively, absolutely atrocious, cannot be the same if they want to make any headway in the American League. Again, two more hours to go of Red Sox hot stove chatting Again, you can call in 617-779-7937. Will Fleming joining us later in the program. My uh, pre-post teammate, Cooper Boardman, whenever UMass hockey wraps up, he'll join us as well uh, to take us the full rest of the way alongside me. Don't go anywhere. More coming up here on WEI.